This is the MG Car Club podcast with Wayne Scott and Adam Sloman. On this episode, I resume my conversation with Michael Allison, the former chief quality engineer for MG and also the founder of the Triple M Register. He'll share his tips with how to own a Triple M car in today's world. Plus, Adam and I discuss the 90th anniversary of the MG Car Club with some special words from the daughter of Cecil Kimber. The MG Car Club Podcast. Hello, welcome to another MG Car Club Podcast. Hope you're keeping well. Good to have you along for episode 27 and a very special episode as well because, of course, we are celebrating the 90th anniversary of the MG Car Club and busy over in Kimber House putting out the bunting and the fairy lights is Adam Sloman. Hi, Adam. Hello, Wayne. How you doing? Very good. How's the party preparations going down at Kimber House? It's going pretty well. We've got a we've got a cake uh, that's that's ready. We've got uh, the largest confetti cannon in the, uh, the northern hemisphere that should cover most of Oxfordshire and Berkshire in a, uh, a generous covering of uh, of confetti. Rather um, the eight powered one, of course. Absolutely. Um, no, it's all going really well. We're uh, we're very much looking forward to. Um, to being able to mark the club's 90th it's not been the year we were expecting but uh, but no we're um, it's really we're really looking forward to it and it's nice to have something positive to uh, to focus on yeah it really wasn't the year we were expecting to celebrate the 90th anniversary in of course there were parties up and down the country expected we we're expected to have the really big celebrations of course at mg live at silverstone earlier this year and uh, to do lots of different things at kimber house for the actual date of the very first meeting but we make the best of what we've got don't we adam and of course by the time most people hear this podcast we will have been to gaydon for the british motor museum hosting the mg social and hopefully people will start to see the video on facebook and the other social media channels about uh, the cake cutting that we've got planned to mark that inaugural meeting at the roebuck hotel in stevenage back in 1930 to look at some of the pictures by the way fantastic archive photographs there's a couple of ways to really relive the last nine decades of the mg car club on social media starting from the actual day of that first meeting the 12th of october we're going to be starting nine decades in nine days on our own social media pages but for those of you who like to digest things on paper have a look at the october issue of safety fast magazine which of course is the glossy monthly magazine that comes as part of your membership package to the mg car club where there's a fantastic set of features photographs from 90 years and i've got the magazine the october issue opened at page 18 and looking at this superb photograph of all of the people gathered together at that very first meeting at the roebuck hotel in stevenage and there are some very key members of mg history amongst those faces aren't there yeah, so of course we've spoken um, on previous podcasts about uh, John Thornley. Uh, John was there himself. Um, there were about 30 people there on that first meeting. So, you know, that's, uh, sorry, about 30 cars turned up for that first meeting. So a good uh, good mix of cars. I believe all but two of them were uh, Triple M midgets. Um, so, yeah, so John Thornley was there. Roy Marsh, of course, who, who wrote that letter to the light car and really kicked all of this off, was there. Um, but what I didn't realise was that um, shortly after that first meeting, they actually got um, people back to the Roebuck again in November. Um, and in November, they had over 50 people join them. Um, and, you know, this really sort of kick-started the club um, from there on. They then um, were able to get some funding 
Um, and you know that that meant uh, that they could start to do more things as a club and the first events were organized um and very quickly um you know they were able to organize things like a dinner so the club's first annual dinner was held in january 1931 kimber himself attended that dinner uh, and by all accounts gave a very amusing uh, after dinner speech to to all the attendees and you know you can't imagine today um forming a car club and having the father of of the mark turn up at your inaugural annual dinner can you just the, the it just goes to show the strength of affection between the manufacturer mg and and the car club well that's right because then as now they had a very strong and tight relationship with the mg manufacturer and i guess that's really what has fed into the success of the car club over the years is that they've gone hand in hand with the very factory that was producing the cars that the members were so enthusiastic about and what else i realize as well by looking at this photograph of that very first meeting is it's not just you know all male faces and sort of car geeks gathered together <laughs> there's a good few ladies at the front of the uh, crowd there and it was the sort of event that people attended with their wives with their partners girlfriends and with the rest of the family and that really set the precedent from day one for what the mg car club is now is a real family for mg enthusiasts that involves the whole family as well isn't it Totally. I mean, I've I've said it numerous times, but you know, we've got people in the club that have met their their wife through the club. You know, they've then gone on to have children, and their children have made friends with other children in the club, and then those to become adults and get married, and you know, the cycle repeats itself. So, it's amazing just how you know we've got multi generational um, members now. You know, it's it's incredible, and it's just a testament to the to the strength of community that exists around the cars um and i always say the cars are amazing but it's the the people are our members that really make the club what it is absolutely and looking down the page at these early photographs these are the photographs from 1930 to 1960 you can see all of the diverse activities within the club already starting in those early pre-war days and in particular the picture that caught my eye was um the picture here of the 1934 land's end trial an event that I have a real deep affection for and dearly love to compete in to this day. I think it's fantastic what the MCC do with the Land's End and, of course, Exeter and Edinburgh trials. But this, the original event from 1934, the MG Car Club A-Team at a halt and the club's coloured stripes can clearly be seen down the bonnet sides of the cars that are uh, running in the Land's End trial that year. And a uh, brilliant piece of history there. As you say, the inaugural dinner is pictured, as is some of the racing that has happened through the years, including MGs at Silverstone and even at Goodwood as well. But, of course, Silverstone being the, the track of choice, really, for the MG Car Club throughout the years and a circuit that, of course, we enjoy a very healthy relationship with all of these years later. Next year, of course, marking 70 years of MG events at Silverstone, isn't it, Adam? That's monumental. Yeah, it will be a really big, um, really big occasion for us. You know, we were instrumental in helping um, the formation of Silverstone back in, uh, I think it was 1945, literally just after, just after the end of World War Two, um, and of course the the car club 
was one of several clubs that helped um, to finance the purchase of Silverstone so it could become a race circuit and could you know become our premier motorsport venue that's known around the world and we're very lucky to have that relationship with Silverstone we're one of the few clubs that can go ahead and, and use the Grand Prix circuit um, which proves so popular with our own competitors but also with our valued guests that come and join us at, at MG Live um, and you know in a lot of years um, we'll have a, a second race meeting at Silverstone where we use the, the national circuit um, so yeah it's um, Silverstone and the car club really do go back sort of right to the, almost their mutual sort of birth really of course that relationship with Silverstone runs right the way through as a theme on these photographs in the October issue of the magazine right up until last year when of course the MG Car Club its members and some very notable guests opened the British Grand Prix at Silverstone and there's a picture here of Lewis Hamilton riding with his dad Anthony Hamilton in an MGC that of course his dad owns his dad is a huge collector of British sports cars not just MGs Triumphs and Jaguars as well in his collection and uh, that was a, a really monumental thing that the MG Car Club was involved with in July last year. So uh, fantastic to see that relationship with Silverstone running all the way through. And of course, pictures there of Kimber House as well. Great to see that the MG Car Club returning to the home of MG after many years moving around the country, as we heard from Michael Allison in the last episode of the MG Car Club podcast where we interviewed him by the way part two of that interview coming up a little later on in this episode it's going to be a fantastic party when we all do get together adam because we'll have had all of the 90th anniversary celebrations pent up from this year won't we and when we <laughs> do finally get out together at an event it's going to be some event i reckon yeah definitely i'm just really looking forward to when things get sort of back to something close to normality and we can just catch up with people and, and socialize properly because you know like i just said the the whole ethos of the car club is that we are a social um we're a social group you know we are a social club i've got to say our members have done an amazing job this year um you know we were so looking forward to our 90th anniversary but everyone that i've spoken to has done incredibly well with things like zoom um with virtual meets you know with facebook with social media with email newsletters um and i mean right across the world from from australia uh, to china to india um to the guys in the states all across europe it's been phenomenal as much as this pandemic has been a global pandemic it's also shown that the the love for mg and the strength of mg car club members um is a global thing as well so yeah it's um it's been a, a been an exciting year well you know i had a thought about this when you think about the history of the club we're probably in a very pivotal moment in itself this year 2020 is a big moment for the mg car club probably in almost exactly the same way that 1939 was a really big year for the car club and throughout the 90 years of the car club there's been all sorts of challenges and changes and things that the club has had to adapt to as an organization and change in order to accommodate um, but probably the two biggest impacts on its activities was 1939 when of course world war ii broke out mg laid down their tools working on cars and of course started to work on aircraft and other vehicles needed for the military and of course petrol was rationed motorsport came to an end people were in whichever part of life you were in in whichever 
profession, whether you were called up to do national service or whether you weren't, everyone was focused on the war effort. And I guess from 1939 to 1945, the car club kind of went into a kind of stasis almost until those war years were over. Certainly looking through the archives at Kimber House, there's very little that exists from that wartime period, probably because there just wasn't a lot going on. But this time it's slightly different. In 2020, despite the fact that we're actually not able to meet and have our normal style events, as you say, the MG Car Club membership, as they did in 1939, have pulled together and one thing's for certain, they will come out the other side and this club will be stronger for it in the end. Totally agree with you, mate. Well, we'll have a look at some very nice words that we've dug out from those Kimber House archives from Jean Kimber, of course, the daughter of Cecil Kimber, founder of the MG brand. Before we do that, and before we hear those words from her, uh, let's have a look at some of the messages that our listeners have been sending us. And there was a momentous moment for us here on the MG Car Club podcast, Adam, in the last week, because on the back of Michael Allison's fantastic interview, by the way, how good is he? He is yeah. an amazing chap. He's a lovely guy. I could, um, again, you talk about social distancing. Um, I attended the um, Abingdon Work Centre AGM a couple of years ago. And before the AGM, we had a, a, a lunch in a pub. Um, and I ended up sat with, with Mike. Um, and he and I proceeded to put the MG world to rights uh, for about two or three hours. And I think, given the opportunity, we'd still be sat there now talking about all the things that MG have done, could have done, should have done. Um, yeah, he's a tremendous guy. He's got so much love and passion for MG and the car club. Yeah, brilliant interview. Well, that all helped us to reach a major milestone here on the MG Car Club podcast. On our 90th anniversary year, this podcast reached its first 5,000 subscribers across the world. So that's an amazing figure, a figure that Adam and I never thought we'd achieve, <laughs> never even crossed our minds when we started this back in April at the beginning of lockdown here in the UK as part of the pandemic struggle that we've all been uh, seeing ourselves through. But that's amazing. 5,000 people listening to this podcast every week. And to every single one of you, thank you so much for supporting this podcast, for listening in and for also contributing as well with all of your messages. It's a great thing, isn't it, Adam? Yeah, definitely. We're really grateful to everyone who, who supported us. Um, we hope you carry on enjoying it and we hope you carry on listening. Part two of that interview with Michael Allison coming up later on in this episode of the MG Car Club podcast. But for now, cast your minds back to episode 22 that we released at the very beginning of September and to an interview that I did with Tom McCooey about his MG Magnet. Now, you might remember his lovely MG ZA that had been owned by his late father and was something of a bit of a emotional journey for him to restore. Well, we've heard from Tom, and the good news is his ZA magnet is back on the road and it's Hurrah. running nicely. Just says, uh, just a quick note to say my ZA is back on the road. There's a few bits to sort out, but we have a drivable car. And Wayne, you were right. It is lovely to drive. I knew he'd enjoy it, Adam. 
Yeah, no, that's brilliant. I mean, I met Tom at the NEC um, when he came across uh, just to talk to me about his, his magnet and what he was doing. And you just know that some, you know, it's a special car, you know, it's a special journey that he's been on with that car. Um, so, you know, to know that he's finally got it on the road and, and he's loving it is, is brilliant. That's really good news. It's great. And uh, he finishes his message with this lovely little bit. I would have got in touch sooner but I've been a little bit preoccupied with the birth of my first son on the 15th of September. Well, congratulations, Tom. And we're sending you lots of love here from the MG Car Club. And uh, fantastic to see your car. Thanks for sending the picture in. The MG Car Club badge, sewn proudly on its front grill there. We'll share that to our social media streams as well. And at some point, we'll get Tom back on this podcast so that we can talk to him about his driving experience once he's got a few miles under his belt with that car and uh, see how he's getting on with MG Magnet ownership. But great story there, Adam. Yeah, good luck, Tom. And especially good luck with the uh, with the nappies and the uh, the lack of sleep. Um, <laughs> it's not something that I miss, um, but it does get easier. Hey, you might even be really lucky and have one of those babies that likes to sleep. Uh, my daughter didn't, still doesn't. Um, so hopefully you're not getting too many uh, sleepless nights. And, you know, hey, you can always pop on the podcast on the baby monitor and it might help the baby go to sleep as well. Well, there you go. Or scar <laughs> it for life, one of the two. <laughs> Let's not be traumatising kids at birth here. But uh, no, well done, Tom. Great stuff. Lovely to hear from you. And thanks for keeping in touch. Also, we've been hearing from MGRVA owners again, Adam. Yes, so I've had an email from Roger Glover who wanted to get in touch with us about episode 23 when we spoke about the um, RV8 marketing plan. Mm. So he dropped us a message just to say, Hi Adam and Wayne, in this strange world we're living in at the present time, I always enjoy listening to the podcast. Being an RV8 owner, I was particularly interested in episode 23 which featured the RV8. As you ask for comments, here are two for your perusal. I love that word. Yes, perusal. perusal. Love it. It's a yeah. great word. It's great. The Rover script on the Japanese versions was actually located on the lower part of the front wing, just in front of the A post, as distinct from the on the door, which you mentioned. Okay, that's 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 on me. I didn't. I just knew they had a Rover badge on the side. So thank you, Roger. I've learned something there. You didn't have both arms in your anorak that day, Adam, did you? You slipped. That's up true, there, mate. That's yeah. true. And I'm also I'm also not uh, not uh, nearly classy enough to be rolling around in an RV8. <laughs> They don't, they don't allow people like me to own RV8. <laughs> um, and then he goes on to say, you also mentioned a bleed valve, which is actually the water filling point on the cooling system. Unfortunately, the top radiator hose is in the shape of a humpback bridge, and this forms an airlock. Hence, it's very difficult to bleed the system. The only way to effectively bleed the system is to run the engine up to full temperature until the fan comes on, then allow the system to cool down, top up and repeat this process numerous times i trust you find this of interest meanwhile please keep up these interesting podcasts and i hope that we can all meet you again in the near future regards roger with a british racing green mgrv8 with a very shiny engine please check with colin so uh so i need to go and check with colin our um our deputy editor on safety fast to find out just how shiny roger's <laughs> engine is perhaps he can drop us a couple of pictures and we can see for ourselves yeah maybe we'll pop around and eat our dinner off it you never know <laughs> it's probably that clean <laughs> <laughs> interesting comment about the bleed valve there of course yeah it's a cap where you can fill the cooling system from but i always thought the technique that they recommended was to run the engine 
um, with that cap removed in order to purge the air from the system that way. So that's an interesting, different take on it there. Mm, brilliant. Pool yeah, of stuff. information here on the MG Car Club podcast. It's all good stuff. I've heard from Mike Horton here, who says, Hi, guys, nice story about the MGC. Thanks for that. You're right about the tyre pressure story. This was the incorrect tyre pressures that they were running on the press launch of the MGC that uh, led some of the journalists to say that it had terrible terminal understeer. Uh, of course, the engine is totally different from the Healy, which was something I pointed out at the time. And this is interesting for you, Adam. He says, uh, Adam's recollection of the square headlights, you yes. may get a surprise at Gaydon. I can Ooh. say no more than that at the moment. Cheers, Mike. Mm. Okay. Sounds intriguing. Well, all will be revealed. And of course, by the time you guys are hearing this, all will have been revealed yes <laughs> indeed and uh your childhood memories might come alive again adam let's see what we uh what we have there and perhaps we can talk to mike at the uh at the event and bring you more news on that uh, mm. also so many messages uh coming through on social media streams actually people sharing the interview that we did with michael allison on episode 26 part two of that coming up of course very soon and everyone loving it, really, just like we said. Everyone really enjoying the stories of a man who was there at the coalface at the time. So a real privilege to have Michael on with us. Uh, back to modern times now, though, Adam. And MG have been selling loads of cars again, haven't they? They've smashed records out of the park for September. Yeah, so um, they once again, they've had a really, really strong month. Uh, interestingly, set against a backdrop where the SMMT, the Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders, are telling people that this is the worst month that they've had for new vehicle sales since, I think, September 1999. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's a huge, huge win for MG. Interestingly, there was a, a news story on the BBC website that said, you know, how the industry was in turmoil and there's a lot of concerns certainly amongst those people that manufacture cars in the UK about what Brexit might do um, to the car industry and it was a very you know, understandably negative story until you got to the bottom line um, of the of the piece where it said historic British um, uh, historic British manufacturer MG bucked the trend by reporting uh, record-breaking sales again this month so um, so nice to see MG getting a mention in the more mainstream media um, it's it's certainly interesting that um, you know the the mainstream media are picking up on on MG bucking that trend um, and while some people will say you know they don't like the suvs they don't like electric cars um you know this sort of thing you can't argue with the sales figures they're racking up and the yeah. more cars they sell the better chance we've got of getting those sort of niche halo products that that the sort of hardcore enthusiasts are really looking for absolutely well their job is to make cars that people want to buy and it seems they're doing that job very nicely at the moment but of course we're still very early on in the experiencing of the economic impact really around the world uh, that COVID-19 has had so we'll watch it carefully but keep going MG well in the 90th anniversary year of the MG car club I know Adam that you have dug out something very special written by the daughter of the founder of the brand 20 years ago when this car club was celebrating 70 years it is by Jean Kimber Cook of course Cecil Kimber's daughter and uh, let's hear the words that you've dug out from the Kimber House archives that she wrote two decades ago 
Yeah, so this was, um, as, as you just said, this was written for our 70th um, anniversary book, um, which is quite a rare book these days, and, and there weren't um, thousands upon thousands of copies published. So if you've got one, um, it is a, a fairly rare thing to have. So I just wanted to read um, the, the foreword that Jean wrote because I just thought it was quite a nice story um, and, and sort of sums up the sort of early days of the car club. I'm delighted to be asked to contribute a foreword for a book to mark 70 years of the MG Car Club. I was, of course, too young to remember its foundation, but Mike Hawke tells me that my father, after his initial doubts about Lord Nuffield's attitude to a club devoted to motorsport, became a diligent chairman and attended the inaugural meeting of new centres whenever he could. I can, however, vividly remember helping at rallies, those held anyway, in the incomparably beautiful Cotswold countryside along whose lanes MG midgets are forever scolding in my memory in a cloud of reminiscent chalk dust. Amazing to think in this era of mobile phones that a car's safe ascent of a section of hill climb could only be signalled in those far-off days by a white flag. Wartime WRNS service, marriage, child raising, all, and child raising all intervened. I was too young to learn to drive before the 1945 war, but not too young to catch my father's second passion, sailing. When Wilson McComb interviewed my sister and I for his famous The Story of the MG Sports Car book, I'd lost touch with the world of MGs. I was invited to the MG Car Club Rally at Bewley. I was surprised and delighted to see so many cars from my father's time at Abingdon in such well-kept condition and such pride to their owners. I bought a dinghy as a young widow and my second husband and I already had a seagoing cruiser by the time we were invited to New England. This trip was the first of many overseas journeys to places as far away as Australia and New Zealand, where we found MGs of all kinds giving much pleasure to their enthusiastic owners. So to all MG Car Club members everywhere, I send my love and congratulations and many happy returns on this, the 70th anniversary, and an enormous thank you for so much pleasure and so many thrilling memories provided by MG Car Club members all over the world. And there's a photo at the bottom of Jean Kimbercook, age nine, helping at an MG Car Club Abingdon trial. Well, stirring words there as we enter the 90th anniversary weekend ahead of us as we record this MG Car Club podcast. Nine decades, an incredible achievement for any organisation. Michael Allison's interview part two is next. The MG Car Club podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centres and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, join us now at mgcc.go.uk. Sharing your passion for MG on the MG Car Club podcast. Let's talk about John Thornley just for a moment. As someone who knew him and had worked for him, what was he like to work for? What was he like as a as a leader of the MG brand? And, and what was it like being around John Thornley at the time? Well, first and foremost, he was a real gentleman. If he said something, he meant it. Um, everyone knew where they stood with him. If he told you off, you knew you'd been told off as well. Uh, fortunately, I was never at the rough end of his tongue. But uh, once or twice he asked me to, you know, changed my opinions a bit. <laughs> I have to say, I was a bit of a firebrand in the early days because, you know, I, I got this, uh, I was secretary of the register, the original secretary of the register, 
we got this going and it was very much me who was leading it and the others who were trying to follow and apart from Mel Jones none, none of the original members the original gang of four you know they've all passed on so um, I don't I, I don't want to denigrate them at all we all helped each other I don't want to sound big-headed either but I was the secretary you know I, I was feeding information from the club office about how we should run things we couldn't have done things alone that was for certain did you you get a feeling that you had the support and uh, the encouragement of the mg manufacturer at that time via john thornley and others or were you oh, you very golly, much, yes. yeah i mean john john once said to me they were bloody awful cars at the time what's improved them so i said well we made them reliable <laughs> well uh, let's talk about the cars now because they are still very popular cars to owners classics and vintages now and i know that um a lot of people will be listening into this uh, eager to hear some of uh, your tips and advice on how people can get into triple m ownership so what are the main tips you can give someone who's considering buying a triple m car on firstly what to look for when you buy one but also how to live with one day to day how to find the parts and and what they're like to generally own unless you've got some engineering bent and can work on the cars yourself don't bother because t-tops are much easier to maintain they have their own problems the biggest problem with the triple m cars is they've all got small engines and even the magnets, their six-cylinder maximum size is 1,300 cc's. And by modern standards, they're not very fast. By modern standards, the brakes are bloody awful. However, it is possible to drive them safely. I've been driving the NA that I've got since 1961. And um, I've never actually pranked that one. Um, and the brakes do work on it. But you need a lot of leg power. We've all got used to power steering, power brakes, disc brakes, everything to make the cars safer. But these, these cars were at the dawn of um, motoring, really. They were, they were the first fast small car to be produced. MGs would go up to 80 miles an hour, perhaps a little bit more for the magnets. But they would certainly do 80 miles an hour. And if they're properly tuned, they will nudge 100 so they were quite quick in, in their day. My own son likens um, the MG to um, what they call supercars these days. You know, they were at the top end of the performance range. A Lagonda or a Bentley, that could just about nudge 100. And so could an MG, a good MG Magnet if it was properly tuned. But they certainly do over 80. Now, with that sort of performance, you've got to be able to stop the thing. And in the old days, we used to change gear to slow the car down. And I still do that to this day. You use the gearbox as a sort of mechanical brake. However, don't be afraid of the thing. And if you really want one, do learn a little bit about mechanics and how the thing is put together. And do entrust the more detailed work to somebody who really does know how to do it. Um, Spares are dead easy for them because, well, Mike Dowley at uh, Sports and Vintage has been doing it for years, but he, he makes the best range of uh, Triple M parts that's available now. Um, or not him personally, but he certainly sells them. And they're modestly priced. And 
he gives a good service on the Holy One. Yeah, and of course the Triple M Register, still very much a active community within the MG Car Club. There's loads of help and support within the family there, isn't there? Oh, good Lord, yes. I mean, any member will, uh, who's physically able, will help any other ma- uh, member. Um, the number of people I've taken out for a ride in their own car who say that the car won't go up hills, they want a supercharger fitted. And I've shown them it does go up hills. You've just got to rev it. <laughs> Now, this is something that's quite different about triple M cars, which we've come to accept now. Um, my MG3 will rev to 7,000, and so so will a P or J type, but you're risking damage to your wallet if you do it with a standard crank. But, you know, most of these cars these days have got modern crankshafts in, modern conrods in, and you can rev them to 7,000. It's the great thing about how the cars have, have developed thanks to your early work with the Triple uh, M Register and the subsequent uh, MG Car Club but fans that have seen the model through that modern engineering materials and modern techniques have been able to be applied to these cars to make them just a little bit more usable yeah. and reliable, haven't yeah. they? Uh, what I'm not saying is that the original cranks were okay in their day, but unfortunately they've become fatigued through use. Uh, metal fatigue is something that can afflict any old engineering part. And there are certain steering parts that I would have practiced regularly, you know, perhaps once every five or ten years. But modern parts are now becoming available to replace them. And obviously we're using modern materials. The old Conrods were made of um, what was called a chrome vanadium seal, but there wasn't much of either chrome or vanadium in it. You know, it was around about the one or two percent level. But it was a very good a very good material in its day. These days we have Conrods made in, unless it's changed now, but it used to be in 24T. These will last almost indefinitely with the uh, loads we're, uh, we're putting on them because uh, the N24T is a far better material than the old chrome vanadium, which was so-so. It was a good forging metal. As you look back on the MG Car Club over all of those years, since 1959, an incredible stint within the MG Car Club. How have you seen the car club itself change over that time? And what are some of your best memories of it? Oh, immensely. Um, we, we used to be totally amateur. We had dear old Margaret O'Brien in the office, and she had two or three women working for her as typists. And that was really the powerhouse of MG Car Club. Um, she worked remotely from Russell uh, Lowry, who was up in uh, Liverpool, as I say. But Russell eventually, uh, about the time I joined the company, Russell retired from the car club and Wilson McComb took over general secretaryship, which made sense because he was editing the magazine. But it didn't increase his staff any. I, I was there. I used to do duties for him for a year, um, go around to club meetings and generally wave the, uh, the car club flag. But uh, that all came to an end when I was taken into the factory. But I've remained, a, I hope, a loyal member, <laughs> but certainly an enthusiastic one since those very early days. I've got my black badge, and um, I'm wondering what they're going to do when, I, when I've been a member for, dare I say, it, 70 years. Um, 
whether I'll last that long is a different matter, of course. Well, it's a, it's a fantastic family, isn't it? The uh, the MG Car Club and now stretches around the world and is a great opportunity to share information and uh, and to look after each other, especially in the times that we're all experiencing now. There, there's a lovely story I'd uh, like to tell you a, a memory. I've been to several um, meetings in America. I used to go on the wing of uh, official business trips but uh, latterly, I've been going uh, once or twice as a guest, once or twice at my own expense, um, to meetings in America. I love America, although I'm not not too sure that I want to be there at present. But I like the American enthusiasts. They're great people. One meeting I was spon- sponsored to go was in California, and it was centered on the J2 Midget, which at the time was 17 years old, uh, 1992 two or three, I think it was centered on the J2. And um, there were actually 22 J2s there at the meeting. And one of them was an almost brand new one, which uh, the owner had managed to acquire. And he said, I'd like you to drive my car. And I said, I'm not driving that one, Chris. I said, "Um, you know, with all due respect, (laughs) that is a genuine uh, museum piece. And as an original car, I don't really want any part of it. So he said, no, I want you to drive it. If it breaks, it breaks, and I can mend it. So I said, eventually, after about half an hour, and I have to admit a couple of beers, I said, okay, I'll take you out in it. So I went off up the road in this car, you see, and gosh, it was a lovely car. As I say, it only done, I believe, around about 10,000, 12,000 miles from new. It really was a delightful car. And it was nicely set up. And I was just driving along and Chris tapped me on the shoulder. He said, yeah, pull over, pull over. So I stopped. He said, how do you do that? So, oh, God, what have I done wrong? So he said, you're changing gear and not using the clutch. So I said, oh, bad, bad habits die hard. I don't use the clutch for the crash gearbox. There's no need. You only need it for starting and stopping. So he said, well, how do you actually do it? I said, I really can't tell you. I just do it. <laughs> I've been doing it since 1960, 1957. You know, it comes to second nature. So he gets back to the, the meeting, or we get back to the meeting. I drove him. And uh, he said, hey, why can't I can drive your J2 without touching the clutch when it, once it's rolling? And I drove 22 J2s that day. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's it. You know, it, it comes from, I guess, having a, the experience of using a car like that as, as pretty much everyday transport back when you had them initially. One or two people in this country, they've heard the story and said, but you use a pre-selector on the road. Why do you do that? So I said, because that's what's fitted in my car. <laughs> yeah, do, does it ever worry you that skills like that are being forgotten or lost in the world at the moment? Yes. Yes, it does. Because I'm fairly sure that how you drive a horse and car the ability to to do that has been lost over the years. There, there are a few people who still do it, but they do it in a competition ring. Now, I don't want to see this happen with motor cars because motor cars are real living things and should be used. It doesn't matter how old they are. I've, the oldest car I've ever driven was a 1896 Leambole, but I've driven all ages of cars since then, and they should all be used. A car only comes alive when it's running. I, I say... You know, these static meetings that people go to these days and look at the car and kick the tyres and that sort of thing. I do go to them, obviously, but uh, they're like a cemetery, really. It's a museum, and museums don't interest me at all. You have to have them for some aspects, like 
you know, you can't drive railway engines down the road. And I love railway engines, <laughs> particularly steam ones. Um, but I prefer to go on uh, railways where I know the steam engine is going to be used. The same with motor cars. I'm just not interested in looking at a motor car. It might be a thing of beauty. I had um, a couple of years working on uh, a very, uh, looking after a very uh, special collection of Bugattis. So I drove a number of, um, of Bugattis. And uh, as I told the owner, they're only motor cars. They all work in the same way. Um, and, you know, there's no motor car that frightens me. Some of them have got, have got uh, peculiarities when it comes to assembly and disassembly. Like when he broke, the owner broke the back axle of his Type 30, Type 51 Bugatti, and I had to repair it. And my word, that was a nightmare. I had to take the whole boom car to bits because you have to take the whole axle out of the car, complete with the drive shaft, and then split it in half. Um, to get the half shaft out from the inside. I mean, a, a bizarre notion. <laughs> I can take the half shaft in an MG within half an hour. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's, of course, uh, they were designed for ease of uh, maintenance uh, and, and, and maintenance at home. And it is, a, it is a great accolade, isn't it, really, as we look back at the significance of those triple M cars, and in particular the midget, that these cars are very nearly not far off now, a hundred years old, yet yeah. if you know how to drive them, they can still mix it with the modern traffic, still perform oh, well. And really, they are responsible for taking MG from that small sort of derivative of a Morris to the great international brand that it enjoys now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, every car has got its place in history, but don't, don't think they were just beautiful. They weren't. They were, they were practical means of transport at the time they were built. And MGs were always sports cars, and unlike a lot of what I call pseudo-sports cars, they were meant to be used in sporting events. So it isn't difficult to go racing in a P-Type. I would be less enthusiastic about doing it in, let's say, a Morris 6 Cunada, which was a, a pseudo-sports car at the time. Michael, as we sit here in the 90th anniversary year of the MG Car Club, what do you hope for the next 5, 10, 20 years of not only the MG Car Club, but the cars that you love as well? I'm hoping to be here. That's, that's the first thing. And I'm hoping to carry on enjoying my MGs, which I do. I, I recognise that time will come when I can't do it. I had a little fright a couple of years ago when uh, I had a, a slight problem and thought, oh, that's the end of it. I'm not going to drive again. But I've come back and I think I'm still fairly... <laughs> Fairly complimentous. I can only see the MG Car Club. So long as there, there, there are new cars being built with the MG badge on, the MG Car Club will survive. Whether it will become like, say, well, some of the other Mark Clubs where there is no production, I don't know. Uh, you see, one, one, of the, one of the cars I like immensely is a Talbot. They were beautifully engineered. They were very much contemporaries of the MG, but they were big. And uh, I believe there's still a Torbert car club. There's certainly a Sunbeam club, which I think takes in the Torberts because Sunbeam and Torbert became one marker after a time. But the Torberts, the um, Roche-designed Torberts, really are beautiful motor cars. However, you seldom see them on the road these days. You only see them at club meetings, which I, I think is a terrible shame because they have a racing and rallying heritage. Even Bentleys, you don't see them very often now, do you? Proper vintage Bentleys. 
No, indeed. And uh, I guess they've fallen victim, especially Bentleys and to some degree Tolbert's. They've fallen victim to being just so valuable that they've been taken as an investment and that's taken them off the road. And and that is a worry, isn't it? It is a worry. Um, I don't think that will happen with MGs so long as there are idiots like me prepared to do it. (laughs) I might say that I don't do it anymore, um, but I have a young man who uh, helps me in, in the garage make sure the car is settled properly but um you have to recognize your own limitations well that's good that you're passing on your knowledge and skills to someone else though michael that's the that's the great thing there well one one thing if he does anything wrong i tell him but (laughs) 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 these days really i trust him to just get on with it and tell me when it's done i don't believe in looking over your shoulder uh when when i was employing people i never did that what i want you to do is this do you understand the job and if the answer was yes, I'd say, OK, get on with it. And uh, I only want to know when you finish or if you have a problem. Well, Michael, it's been absolutely fantastic to have you here on the MG Car Club podcast. I feel like we could probably sit here and spend the rest of the day talking about your memories. I'd certainly enjoy that. But uh, at some point, we do have to bring it to a close. My, my, my son says that I can bore for England on the subject of MG. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kept us riveted, I have to say, and uh, it's been a real privilege to talk to you and uh, sharing some of those fantastic memories. So, uh, Michael Allison, thanks for joining us. Been a pleasure. The MG Car Club Podcast. Safety Fast, the magazine of the MG Car Club. Get your copy now by joining us at mgcc.co.uk. Well, Adam, that concludes our interview with Michael Allison and what amazing interview it has been. And really nice, actually, to get some tips, really, on owning Triple M cars from him, uh, from someone who, well, I can't think of anyone better to give us those tips, really. Someone who's obviously owned them for so long, since the 1950s. And uh, I think I feel confident enough almost to take one on myself now. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. But uh, first and foremost, I need some investment tips so I can afford to go and buy one. Um, That's it. Yes. You know they they're they're stunning cars, but but gosh, don't they uh, don't they attract a stunning price tag? Indeed. Well, of course, the higher the value, the better the preservation. So at least they are preserved for all of us to enjoy for many more years to come. So yeah, brilliant. Thank you to Michael for giving me his time and sharing all those wonderful memories with us here on the MG Car Club podcast. And now time to have a look round our MG Car Club stores and a nose around the Kimberhouse shop and to see what we've got in store for you this week. And I'm going to get all excited and giddy because it's toy time. <laughs> because we're already starting to think about Christmas presents. Are we? Let's be honest, we have to. Um, I'd never really realised this. Um, I mean, I did, just didn't know you sold this stuff. There's Scale Electrix cars on the MG oh, Car yes. Club shop. And there's oh, three yes. that have caught my eye here. There's the MGB number 48. That's the Sebring car, of course. The MGB that raced at Sebring. The Roy McCarthy MGB. And for those of you who love more modern MGs, there's a twin set with the MG Metro 6R4 and its arch nemesis, the Peugeot 205 <laughs> T16. And they're all on the MG Car Club shop. This is going to be a Christmas and a half, this is. 
Well, as long as you're on the good list, mate, then uh, well, I'm sure Father Christmas will uh, will reward you accordingly. But um, yeah, who who doesn't love scale electrics? I mean, it doesn't matter if you're if you're eight or eighty eight. I think you know you can have so much fun with them. We we've got um, at home. We've got some of the touring car MG sixes. We've got a couple of MGBs. We've got a couple of metros. And yeah, both uh, Lily and James and I, you know, love nothing more than to fill the lounge, much to Sarah's despair, with track and cables and cars and you know just that smell of scale electrics you can't beat it you know it's a timeless gift isn't it it really is and they are great models i mean never mind the fact that they go around your scale electrics track this they yeah. are fantastic models of course number 48 that famous mgb was the car that jim adams mill brennan and frank morell drove in the 1964 12 hours of sebring and it is one of those top endurance races it remains so to this day so I challenge you this Christmas because we can't have big parties or, you know, the sort of things we would normally expect to do over Christmas. Get together, some of your relatives, no more than six, of course, form some teams, buy yourself the MGB 48 Sebring car for Scale Extric and challenge yourself to reenacting the Sebring 12 hours on the living room carpet this coming Boxing Day. (laughs) I bet you'll have a real laugh doing it. So they're available on the MG Car Club shop now. Uh, they vary in prices um, from about £40 each. That's about the going rate for scale extra cars now. But uh, yeah, something great fun for the Christmas coming and for, well, big kids like me, basically. I was really excited to find them on the shop. But there's clothing as well and the polo shirts, not only for the 90th anniversary, but for the MG Car Club in general are still on the sale, aren't they, Adam? Yeah, there's a full range on there. We've got everything from the sort of traditional MG Car Club Shield um, through to the 90th anniversary logo and also the um, sort of iconic MG Octagon. Um, So if you want to show your support to the car club, you can bag yourself a car club polo or if you just want to tell everyone that you love MGs in general, you can just get a sort of, you know, the, the traditional MG Octagon. So, yeah, there's a full range on there all the sizes all sorts of colors um you can also get um some different polos that sort of support the different registers of the club um so yeah you can basically buy your whole wardrobe on there absolutely and the mgb register have got their clothing line as well which we must mention for john watson available from their website also of course as we still are continually needing to wear these face protections and face masks i don't know about you but those like little blue cheapy ones that you can get they just make me sneeze. They give that like they go all hairy on the inside, and they like start tickling your nose and stuff. So they're no good for me. But what are very good are the MG Car Club bandanas, which you can basically sort of wear around your neck and pull over to cover your mouth and nose. And they're available yeah. online now at just twelve pounds fifty. And when they get a bit grubby or whatever, you just bung them in the washing machine, and then they're good to go again. You'd have to keep buying these horrible things that go hairy and annoy you so um, and end up littering car park floors as oh, well. the number of horrendous. surgical masks you see litter you know just becoming litter it's um yeah we need it this thing's going to be around for a while so we need a, a, a better longer term solution so something like this is a really nice way to do it there's a couple of different designs online as well um so yeah what what better what better thing to to buy for your face covering now they're really good and top tip for you don't search for mgcc face covering or face mask search for mgcc bandana on the shop you'll find it on the home page as well and that will find you the correct product that will protect your nose and mouth and allow you to walk into the shops whenever you like sporting 
the 90th MG Car Club brand. Great stuff. And uh, loads of other bits of merchandise and gifts and fantastic things that can be found at shop.mgcc.co.uk or, of course, follow the links from our weekly e-newsletter that gets delivered into your email inboxes every Saturday afternoon along with the latest episode of the MG Car Club podcast. So to our 5,000 subscribers and all of you other listeners that dip in and out, a happy 90th anniversary to all of the MG Car Club family across the world and cheerio from me, Wayne Scott. And goodbye from me, Adam Sloman. See ya. Subscribe to receive new episodes of the MG Car Club podcast at mgpodcast.com. 